0: Hey everybody, this is episode 18 of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina, talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. Today I'm talking with Monet Noel Marshall, director, performer, and arts activist. Monet Noel Marshall is a Durham, North Carolina-based artist, director, producer, and creative consultant. She serves as the founding artistic director of Mojoa Performing Arts Company, producing new works by and new opportunities for black playwrights. She is also the founder and lead consulting artist at Bad Arts Consulting, which helps creatives do better business and businesses be more creative. Bad Arts Consulting provides arts-integrated solutions to creatives, businesses, and nonprofits through consultation, event curation, marketing, and facilitation. Monet activates the arts to engage communities in collective visioning, change-making, and joy as social action. Hi, Monet.
1: Hey, it's Tamara. On January 26th, By My Soul and Call It Art, a performance art experience, will premiere in Durham, North Carolina. With a team of over 30 local artists... This immersive exhibition will explore the relationship between Black performance and mainstream arts spaces, the emotional labor of Black artists, the importance of Black joy and the connection between the slave market and the arts market. Conceived and performed by Monet Noel Marshall, this piece asks the question, what is Black art worth to you? You're opening later this month. How are you feeling? I am feeling excited, also
2: frightened, if I'm honest. Um, I think, you know, I've done a lot of work that I felt clearer about how the audience would respond. And this one feels like a wild card.
1: Mm. (laughs) Was there a moment when, when you decided, I'm going to make this piece what was the seed was there one yeah there was so um
2: so i'm gonna give you a surprise so this piece is actually the first of a trilogy that's going to be released over 2018 oh wow um and actually the third piece of it came to me first um and but what happened was, there, back in September, Culture Mill, which is a local organization, they did their Articulating Value in the Art Symposium, and um, I was a part of their very first convening, and I got to the room, and I was the only um, Black American woman in the room, and the only Black American person in the room, um, and I was just like, oh, this feels weird. You know, to be in a room of thirty artists talking about value and mm-hmm. money in the South when I could throw a stone and find so many black and brown artists, black and brown American artists. Um and yeah, so I kinda pulled back and then they invited me to be a part to speak with Saba, Sabotage and um to be on their closing panel for the event. So I did and I got in the room and again I could count the people of color in general. I think there was four of us in the room Mm -hmm. um, and two of us were speaking. One of us is one of the um, organizers and then like one other person. And I sat there and I'm on this panel and just saying what comes naturally to me about art and about people and about value and about what I believe about my communities and how I can't have a conversation about value without talking about enslaved blood mm. and the blood of my people that are on the money. Um, and having this moment where I was like, I just looked around and it felt like people were so sated to feel bad for a minute mm. or to feel called out or to feel guilty for a minute. And I was like, oh, but what are, but what's happening? Mm. But what are we doing? Mm. Um, and that moment really I was like, oh, I am actually tired of being the person that gets invited to talk about things and make folks feel bad for twenty minutes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I I want to be the artist that like has said it and done it in my work, so that I can move on. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to know how, how I feel about this, like, here's the work. Mm-hmm. You know. So that was the moment. Um, and it's also important. It was in that space. It was the symposium was held at the Living Arts Collective, and that's the same place where my art piece will be premiered. Mm-hmm. So those two things are really linked for me.
1: How will this trilogy work then? What is the shape of it?
2: Yeah, so the first piece is one to be in January, uh, by My Soul and Call It Art. The second piece is Buy My Body and Call It a Ticket. Mm-hmm. And then the third piece is Buy My Art and Call It Holy. And I think, you know, when I wrote out the why, of uh, why I was doing Buy My Soul and Call It Art, I think we're gonna get to that mm-hmm. later. Um, I read it to my mom and she was like, you sound angry. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I am. Like, I am angry. And I think um, I'm getting to a point both as a person and as an artist where I need to explore my anger so I can get past it. Um, and the piece, some of the work that will come out in the Buy My Art and Call It Holy, I actually wanted to do that first. Mm. But once I, when I, I recognized that I couldn't do that piece, which is about grace and holiness and like the graceful nature of being a black woman in the South, a black woman artist Mm -hmm. um, without first uh, talking about the anger. Right. Or else it wouldn't be authentic. Right. Right. So it really, it's an arc. It feels like an unpeeling, Mm -hmm. like taking this year to say the things that I need to say and wanna say so I can get to the the grace,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah. You mentioned that you were feeling nervous about the reception that a piece might, like this might uh, get from the audience. Where do you think that nervousness is coming from and how are you managing that? <laughs> um, I
2: think the nervousness comes because I feel like I'm gonna be having a lot of different conversations with a lot of different people at the same time Mm -hmm. and watching having so many conversations when there's no right way to respond feels so unwieldy Mm -hmm. um on top of the fact that I I've been doing theater for a very long time but this is my first time doing performance art um and there's also that piece around do people even know how to respond or like are they going to find resonance? Are they going to find something for themselves that they can take with them, mm-hmm. or are they going to have this experience and be like, oh, "I didn't get it." Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm all right with that. Like I'm all right with whatever comes out of it. I think, for one of my first artistic times, it feels like, honestly, this is about me, right? Like I need to work through this, and I am excited about the responses I've gotten from folks who do know more of the like, intricacies of mm-hmm. what's going to happen, uh, my designers, some of my like, advisors, those type folks. Um, I'm excited about the conversations that have been coming out of it, but at the end of the day, like I've been getting a lot of ideas, mm-hmm. too, um, at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is actually about me. I just have to sit with that.
1: Yeah, that's a special kind of vulnerability, (laughs) (laughs) right? So many things come up about whether or not we're worthy of that attention Mm -hmm. and also the burden of needing to explain ourselves and it seems like you are working on so many different layers with this piece because you're creating a piece of art that piece of art then triggers all of these different conversations that then you might feel a responsibility to navigate. And that is not always the case with the art that we bring into the community. A lot of times I feel like as artists, we just put something out there and then we all go home. But what you are doing is going to require more of the audience and more of yourself and the other artists who are working on this. So that seems, that's a lot to take on. When people see this piece, how would you hope that they respond? What would be a either an appropriate or a positive way to engage with this work from your audience mm. members? I think for everyone,
2: I want them to see themselves at some point in the experience. I want them to even if that see themselves, what they see they don't like, Mm -hmm. Um, or if they feel seen, or if they feel like, oh, I felt that, or I'm not an artist, I work in this other sector, but I've experienced that, or I've seen this play out in our community. Mm -hmm. I I just want everyone to have like a mirror moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I want them to leave with lots of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really, and I want to give myself permission to not have to answer them. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, you know, I I want them to be questions that people are having their own conversations about that they're not then like, because I think what often happens is particularly around race, um, we have questions and then we want to go to someone to like give us the right answer. Right. As opposed to saying like, actually, you know, like the revolutionary thing to do is to sit in the inquiry, and I think we need folks to sit in the inquiry, like sit in the uncomfortable, sit in the question Mm -hmm. before we're trying to like dash to the answer. Right. Um, And I think this piece, and I hope this piece will just open up a can of questions.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the piece. I don't know anything about it other than what i read, (laughs) so I'm excited to hear it sounds like the number of people you have involved in this, 30 people, that's a lot of bodies. So is this a solo piece with a narrative? How is it structured? Yeah, so it's not a
2: solo piece. Um, It's interesting when people have seen the trailer or like marketing images, there isn't anyone else represented. Mm -hmm. And part of that was, I recognize if I'm gonna, some of the things I'm gonna ask folks to do For everyone, I'm going to ask you to put your body on the line, right? And I was like, oh, I can't ask anyone to do that without going first. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have, as as a culture creator, as a director, as a producer, as a organizer, as a consultant, I'm often the person that's like two degrees back. Um, I'm not always a person that's like, hey, it's me. Here Mm I am, I'm doing a thing. Um, And I think with this piece I felt important and I have friends and advisors who pushed me to be like, no, your face needs to be on this, Monet. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't just put this image of this museum art thing and it's just like ironic. They're like, no, no, your face. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So it's not a solo piece. it's going to be a immersive, interactive piece, so the audience will be moving through the experience. Um, it's going to be vignette style. There is not a narrative. Mm. Um, but there are some through lines. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the pieces don't have language at all.
1: Let's talk about the immersive piece because this is a theme that I've noticed in your work with Mojoa, for example, and other pieces that you've put together. Um, I should say, incidentally, that Mojoa is the performing arts company that you are the artistic director of. Mm -hmm. Why is immersive work important to you? As both
2: a human being and also as a black person in this country I think there are plenty of opportunities to be a voyeur into the black experience Mm -hmm. and I think so that's one piece I think that immersive work forces us to get past that like I'm sitting and watching and letting something wash over me Mm -hmm. as opposed I have choices here Mm -hmm. and I think it's important for us to always recognize that we have a choice that we are never a silent Um, participant in this like in the same way we talk about society does this and society Mm. does that like well we are society we are the people so if the people are doing this thing that means we're doing the thing Mm -hmm. so that's one and then two from the like black church tradition and like the black art tradition in general it's there aren't like inactive viewers in the same way Um, whenever I watch when you watch movies like with large groups of black folks, or you go to plays that have large black audiences, or you go to a black church, there is a, I, I may not be the person speaking, I may not be at the podium, but I am actively present and I'm gonna show you that in my energy, in my like shout back, mm-hmm. in my like clapping in my like in my body, it's a very active participation. And I think that's something for me that feels like home. Mm-hmm and feels really necessary for, because I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to play for you and I'm not trying to present to you. I'm trying to be in this with you. Right, right. So that's why immersive work feels really important right now Mm -hmm. for me.
1: You have several other elements to this piece. You have a closing dinner, you have the pay what you can, pay what it's worth. Why are those elements important?
2: so i'll start with the pay what you can pay what it's worth so i don't like the idea or the stereotype that art is inaccessible and it's for wealthy folks who have time and leisure um i reject that Mm -hmm. wholeheartedly i think that if we get to a space where only wealthy privileged folks feel like they have um access to art then we've already lost Mm. (laughs) um because it's not that art will ever stop stop being made. But what we're saying then is that the people who are not those folks will feel like, well, yeah, I made this thing, but it's not art. Mm. Or yeah, like I danced that thing, but it's not art. Mm-hmm. I made this t-shirt, but it's not art. Um, which what we're actually saying is that because whiteness, because white supremacy, because capitalism hasn't told me that my art is valuable, I, I can't prescribe that to myself mm-hmm. and I, I just can't. <laughs> i right. just like, no. So there's that. And then also I think if we don't talk about value, again, it's about choice, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you get to decide what something is worth, mm-hmm. what the value of the thing is. Um, and we do it every day. We decide what's valuable to us, what isn't, mm-hmm. what is worth $5 and what's worth 50 or 500. Um, so yeah, so it's just, it's about choice. Mm.
1: We decide, but also it is decided for us, right. right? So it's not art until you sell at a certain level, which brings up this the Basquiat painting mm-hmm. that you mentioned. It's like, well, if people are willing to pay X million dollars then, then it becomes legit, right. and that is very unfair and very damaging mm-hmm. to to people. And then it also becomes absorbed by only those people who can exist at that level right. of payment. And then, with the Basquiat
2: painting, it's not even like Basquiat himself is then making a hundred and ten point five right. million dollars. Right. Right, Right. Of course. Yes. (laughs) You know, um, he died without any heirs. His parents are deceased. Mm -hmm. So the people then making money off of his black brilliance and his black art are now non-black people. Right. Right. So there's even that, that like once people have decided that something is worthy, you're taken out of the equation.
1: Right. Let's talk about some of these topics that you mentioned in in the description of By My Soul and Call It Art. One of them is the relationship between black performance and mainstream arts spaces. Why is this relationship important for you to underline in this community? Mm -hmm. I love living in Durham. I love creating in Durham. I really
2: feel like I am a part of this bubbling, black arts renaissance. Um, I'm surrounded all the time by people making and creating and thinking and dreaming and actualizing, like, in the world. And then I go to conversations around arts mm-hmm. in Durham, and so many of the people who I make and create and dream and build with are not in the room. Or when people talk about artists in Durham, mm-hmm. they're not thinking about the people that I work and create and make with. Mm-hmm. And somehow or another, I became one of those, one of the few people that's existing between worlds. And what I often hear is from folks, particularly in the mainstream white art scene, it's like, well, we didn't know. We didn't Mm -hmm. know that these things were happening. We didn't know that. We don't know those people. We didn't, I'm just like... If you go to BU Cafe, on most Tuesday evenings, you're going to find a large spattering of the people who are creating in Durham, like Mm -hmm. among black creatives. If you go to the vault on Broad Street, you're going to find a large grouping of those folks. Um, And then if you ask one or two of us and... And, and not just like what I need, mm, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But in a way that's like, oh, I want to meet and learn and be in community and what shows are y'all doing and what do you, you know, you're gonna find us. Mm-hmm. But the question is, do you want to? Or is there an ex- expectation that we're gonna come to your white art space because you have credibility?
1: How do you translate that idea into a performance art piece?
2: I think one of the things that I want white audiences, white artists, white people to be okay with is, I don't know. I think white supremacy and the system of whiteness creates a space where white people feel this, like, this unrelenting responsibility Mm -hmm. to know everything all the time and have all the answers. So when they're faced with a, like, I don't know who those people are, then the immediate jump is they must not exist Mm. or like they're not professional
0: Mm.
2: or maybe we need to create a grant for them or like (laughs) all these ways to like save folks right Right? (laughs) like (laughs) no uh i think you just don't know us Mm -hmm. and also our values are different our values might just be different right Mm -hmm. like Sometimes I have to choose between being a black woman who lives in this community and an artist, hmm. right? Because the value set sometimes in the two worlds don't always match up. Say more about that. What, what is the
1: mismatch? So
2: I think the mismatch for one is that, and actually I don't even think that the mismatch is that much. I think that sometimes we're weaponized against one another. Hmm. And I think particularly in this moment of gentrification, like artists are like scrambling for space and um, it feels like a, a faux oppression. Mm. Artists are being pushed out. There's no space for us. We can't afford to be downtown. Um, And often in that conversation, we're thinking about white artists Mm -hmm. and white art as if black artists who have already been pushed out, have weren't making, haven't been making, right? Right. Um, So then, in that same age-old story of like, well, then the artist moved to this other in community that costs less, but then that community, because it then becomes cool because the art is there. But the art has always been there. Right. But it's the art that's created through a lens of whiteness that whiteness can then consume and understand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's cool now. I branded it. There's a coffee shop. There's this thing. I want to move over here. Now this home costs $400,000. Right. Right? So I think... But what happens in the, in that discord is that white artists and white art mm-hmm. wants to feel this innocence, right? It's just art. Mm-hmm. I just want to make my art. I just want to have a space to make my art. Mm-hmm. And it's the just, just could be really dangerous. Sure, <laughs> right. And it's the my, right, right, right. Because it's not. I want to build relationships so I can make art with you. It's not, I want to figure out what communities need me Mm -hmm. and need my art. It's like, I want to go because I need this thing. Right. And I think we just need to have a conversation around like, art ain't innocent. Mm. It never has been. And it's always political. And it's always political. Even when we say we're not making political art.
1: Right. Yeah. The title of your piece, By My Soul and Call It Art, it's very provocative. It's a wonderful title. Do you feel like it is accurate for this project? I mean, do you feel like this art piece is your soul that is for sale? How are you navigating the title and the experience? Yeah, it's a great question. Again, as a black artist, whenever I make art, even if i
2: want to say, like, this isn't about race, this isn't about me being black, this isn't about me being... Queer or a woman or any of those things, at the end of the day, people are like, "Oh, that's the art by that black woman, yeah. right?" And then often when the art is consumed, it's still or talked about. It's like, "Oh, did you see that black show?" Mm. And even if not said outright, right? It's like, "Oh, do you know Monet? She made that art. She made that art piece." And if you know Monet, you also know Monet is a black woman, right? You know, if you know anything about Monet, you know Monet has some, like, what her views are right. about things. Right? So, I think it's less about my personal soul and more about my, like, racial soul. Hmm. I think often we go to see Black work and we're expecting to get, to learn something about Blackness. Hmm. To get a lesson in Blackness, to get experience in Blackness. So, there is a additional labor that we put on black work that we don't put on work created by white people, Mm -hmm. right? We're not going to see a show written by some white man and be like, I'm going to get a lesson in whiteness.
1: Right. Right. Um,
2: Even though we are.
1: Right. Right? Of course, yes, absolutely. So
2: it's more about my soul as like, you actually want a lesson.
1: Mm.
2: You want to learn something. You want to glean something about blackness, about the black experience, about what it's like to be black in America, mm. about what it's like to be a black woman, about a, about being a black artist. That's really what you want. Right.
1: But we're going to call it art. Right. Right? Right. I read your blog about the why from November 2017, and the subtitle of that was you may soon wonder why, so let me answer in advance. And you don't explicitly say so, but my interpretation of the post is that it's a list of 20 reasons why you felt moved to create By My Soul and and Call It Art. It's a powerful list and I'm wondering if you would read some of your entries on that for us.
2: Because Basquiat died penniless at 27, but one of his paintings sold for $110.5 million in May. Because black women created the wealth of this country by the labor of their hands and their bodies, and yet the average net worth of a black woman is zero dollars. Because it's zero dollars if she went to college. Because if she didn't, it's 1100 Because the art world ain't loyal, but my grandma's kitchen table always is. Because black life is black performance. And y'all don't get black life, but yet you try to grasp black performance because black women have answers to questions that white people haven't even asked themselves yet.
0: Thank you.
1: And this list culminates with, because I'm angry and hurt and raging and laughing and loving and I have a lot to say, but I'm gonna put it in the art instead. You talked about this a little bit at the beginning of our conversation, but why have you chosen art as your most immediate, your next mode of expression?
2: Art can happen in that dangerous, just place. Mm. Like it's just art, and I don't have to in the same way that I would if I were writing a scholarly text or, you know, doing something in academia where it's like, "But well, are your first person that counts?" Mm. But can you prove it? But where's the proof? Who's written about it? Mm-hmm. So, side note: when I was in eleventh um, or twelfth grade, I was in an AP English class. And we had to write about a, like a five page paper, which is when you're in high school, a long paper. Right. <laughs> you know, about a poet and like critically breaking down their work. And I really wanted to write about Tupac. He had a book of poetry that he released on top of his raps, but like specifically his poetry. And my, I had a teacher, Miss Trotman, I think. And she was an older white woman. And she was like, you can't write about him. Hmm. Who has written about him? Who are you going to cite? So I wrote about Cornelius Edie instead. Cornelius E.die is also brilliant. Um, but there was something in that moment where like, oh, because someone academic and scholarly, um, someone who is probably white, mm-hmm. hasn't written about, torn apart, um, studied this work, legitimized legitimized it, I can't write about it, mm-hmm. right? But in art, I can. I can do whatever I want, mm-hmm. right? And I think also I am most closely tied and most interested in the experiences of Black femmes and women, but we are grossly underpublished and undersighted. Oh, right. Right? Mm-hmm. So in what I wouldn't be able to do in a scholarly piece, I can't tell you or I can't cite the brilliance that my grandma gave me, but I know it's in my bones. I know that when people see this piece, even if they never know her name, they're going to see Evelyn Marshall in that. Right. Right. They're going to see Zelma Carmen in that. So but I can't quote you my grandma's words. Mm -hmm. I can't cite them for you, right? So that's why, like, art is, like, the thing for me, Mm -hmm. because in that I get to share the knowledge that is so deep in my, like, DNA and roots, but that I can't cite. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you the pedagogy of my grandma,
1: right? right? Let's talk about your grandma and your mama. (laughs) So I'm a mama, and I find it easy to be overlooked to feel overlooked. So that's something I always listen for uh, in conversations. And in conversations with you, I've heard you mention your mother, uh, who is a person and artist in her own right, Mm -hmm. Robin Carmen Marshall, often your grandmother. And you work with your mom as professionals, you write about her and your grandmother, you talk about her, you hold her, them up as an example. Why do you do this so consistently when it could be easy and excused not to do that? I would not
2: be the artist or the person that I am if it weren't for Robin Marshall and Evelyn Marshall and Zell Carmen. I just would not be this person, Um, particularly as an artist, because I choreographed my first dance when I was 10 and it was to a song by kurt franklin and i borrowed my mom's sign language dictionary and like choreographed this piece and i showed it to her I'm like mom i made up this dance you want to see it because she was leading a dance ministry at our church and she watched it and she was like that's really good Monet. what if we did this what if we did and in that moment what she did was instead of like oh that's so cute mm-hmm. she really saw me as an artist and as an equal Mm-hmm. in a way that like changed my life, right? So at ten years old, she was like, You are an artist, you are making art. Right. And now and then she's like, we took that dance, we changed it up a little bit and then she that was one of the pieces that her dance ministry performed to the point that there are like other dance ministries out there doing it. My pastor did it on like a mountaintop in Hawaii. It just, <laughs> you know. Um but it it really affirms me, mm-hmm. right? If my mama sees me as a full fledged artist and I'm 10, I'm 28 years old now, there's really not anything you can say to me.
1: Right, right. It's so interesting this theme again of of legitimacy mm-hmm. that's running through our conversation and she did that for you mm-hmm. and told you that that was enough at age 10 and that you know value comes from someplace other than the outside world and what a powerful experience mm-hmm. for you and for probably for your mother to see you do that as an artist. I have seen you talk on several panels, and as you mentioned, you are often called on to be an expert. This seems, I I don't want to speak for your experience, so I want to hear about your experience, but this seems like it would be exhausting. And as as you go into this work for By My Soul, how are you taking care of yourself How do you take care of yourself when you find these same questions being asked and you are asking to provide the same answers?
2: One, I just got back from being out of the country. It was my longest trip abroad. And I think one of the many ways that I felt healed by the trip was the reminder that so many of the things that we think are important aren't. Mm -hmm. That there are other ways to live. Other than the ways that we have constructed here.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The reminder that I have choices. I have always had choices. That I'm abundant. There's no like lack. you mm. know, And that I can find home wherever I need to. Also, one of the ways I take care of myself is like, oh, let me make sure I'm surrounding myself with the people who make me feel like my best. Mm. The people who... I don't need to answer any questions for the people who know me and can read me without me having to say anything. Mm-hmm. The people I'm gonna be quiet with this next couple of weeks. I'm gonna do a really good job of shielding my energy because I think really this is a practice in this whole piece and the process of it, like the rehearsal process and all of that. For me, a big part of it is the practice of revolutionary relationships. Mm-hmm. It's not easy getting 30 people in a room. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not easy managing the emotions and expectations and feelings of 30 people. And that's not something I take lightly. Like none of my cast members know what the show is yet. (laughs) They don't know what they're doing at all. Right. And yet they're trusting me that I won't harm them. Mm -hmm. I won't put them in any situation that's going to be too much for them. That I will hold them. And in order for me to hold them, I have to hold myself well. Right. So for me, that's going to mean a lot of green drinks <laughs> <laughs> and eating lots of veggies and sitting quietly with my mama and, and my dad. And when I'm not in rehearsal, just like buckling down so that I could show up well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is this revolutionary relationship? Yeah.
2: So since working with Mojoa over the last five years, I found that I am more excited about the rehearsal process than I am about the show. Because, particularly working with community artists, there's a magic thing that happens when people who have no other reason to know each other, they don't have any social connections, they don't work in the same place, they don't go to school, they're across generations, get in a room and build relationships. Even when they don't agree on everything, even when they don't understand everything about one another. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think for this piece, because of some of the topics we're going to have to dive into and be vulnerable around, we have an opportunity to build and meet one another in a space that is relatively safe. Right. We're not trying to build something that like has to house people Mm. or feed People who are hungry mm-hmm. or educate children, you know, like right. these, none of the things that we are doing are life or death situations. Mm-hmm. We're creating art. And because there is a low risk in that, mm-hmm. because no one will die, mm-hmm. we get to play in a different way. We get to meet each other in a different way. We get to try in a different way. We get to be quiet. We get to sit and do things that feel like, what does it have to do with the show? And it's like nothing. And everything, right, 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 because it's actually going to make us better together. Right. Even if the audience never knows all the work that goes right. in, they're not going to see any of these activities that we're doing. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna, like, but we're going to know. Mm-hmm. So if something happens and I look across the room at you, I know you got me. Right, right. So, and what does that mean? Because I believe once that happens, that doesn't just like stop once the show stops. Right. So if I'm in the street and something happens and I lock eyes with you,
1: I know you got me. Right.
2: And I think we really need that. Yes.
1: So. Once we're connected, then we're connected. Right. And it and it doesn't go away, it doesn't right. disappear. How do you prepare going into rehearsal, both from a practical standpoint and you talked a little bit about kind of getting your your mind and your sort of inner self in order but mm-hmm. practically speaking how how do you prepare for these
2: yeah so i'm a virgo so i like order <laughs> <laughs> um at least sometimes so i already have the rehearsal schedule written out for like the whole first week and a half i think i just have like two days where i don't know what we're doing mm-hmm. almost every minute of the rehearsal um because we still have a lot of time right you know we're Literally have 18 hours of rehearsal. Yeah. We're rehearsing from 7 to 9, Monday through Friday, uh, for nine days. Wow. And then we opened on the Friday. So we just have to be really good stewards. Right. At the time, while also allowing for spaciousness and play and what comes up in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am really grateful. Jameka Holloway Burrell is on the stage manage um, and holds space for me and... So that I don't have to hold all the pieces. She's doing a lot of knowledge management, which mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for. And then Lisa Turner is uh, designing some of the pieces for the for the piece, mm-hmm. and that's. I don't understand how machines work. Right. So. <laughs> I hear you. Yes. Uh, every time she calls me and we talk, she's like, yeah, I'm going to get this. We're going to do this edging thing. I'm like, whatever you do sounds great. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> is
1: it magic? Like, how does it work? <laughs> no, really.
2: It's like, and you're going to wave a wand and then this thing is going to appear. I send her drawings. I'm sure she's just like, "No, What? what is this? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So um, those are some of the things. So. I've been having conversations with Lisa already for like two months. And so more like the tech side is is more like in the know. Mm-hmm. And then there's marketing materials. There's just like other pieces that I realized in this moment, I need to start giving more things away. Mm-hmm. Like I can't run the marketing while also being in rehearsal. I can't um, manage the ticket situation and be in rehearsal. Like I just need to give those things away now so I can like focus on the art.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. So you're doing all of this. Yeah. And, you're, and you're doing Mojoa. And you also are a consultant with Bad Arts Consulting, a team of seven consultants mm-hmm. formed in. Last year. Last year, 2017. Mm-hmm. I looked at your website and I want to just read that. It says Calling all radical dreamers, Bad Arts Consulting believes in the inherent power and value of radical imagination and dangerous creativity. Through consultation, event curation, project management, and facilitation, we help creatives do better business and business be more creative. Why was the time right to start the consulting group with everything else that you have going on that you've always had going on? It was not actually the plan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: The universe was like, no, go now. Mm. Um, When I started the company, I was leaving UNC Chapel Hill. And, um, I was working in student wellness and it's no secret that the board of governors are not a fan of work that is social justice focused. Mm -hmm. And I was leading a social justice theater company and I was doing a first year orientation piece on identity. And they did the identity walk where it's like, step forward if Mm -hmm. you, your family took vacation, step Mm -hmm. forward if you could call the police without fear, like those type things. And it got back to the board of governors I was doing this and next thing I knew they were like stop everything D- don't do that session anymore and then when they try to come back the session was like 90 minutes Like we want you to do 35 minutes but you can't say the words microaggression or privilege. Wow <laughs> yeah and then they were like go on your website and take off so go on the student wellness website take off everything that has anything to do with race diversity or culture. So this was the summer of 2016 also I was not a full-time employee with like protections. I was a part-time temp working 39.5 hours with no benefits because they couldn't agree on my job title mm-hmm. because it still had too much social justice messaging in it. So when all of that happened, I had already started consulting artists. I was working with uh, a local band called Zoo Crew and we, they had just released their debut album and I was like okay you know um, I was working at black space and with Pierce Freelon, and I talked to him and I was like Pierce I don't know what to do mm. and he's like Monet if you want to stay there you have to use your blood sweat and tears to like work in the system or you could use that same blood sweat and tears to start your own thing mm-hmm. I know this because my thing was like, right, I'm gonna stay in this job for two years save up money start this company and the universe was like no you're, <laughs> you're gonna doing go it now right now <laughs> So I have survived one year of full-time entrepreneurship, mm. <laughs> which feels like survived. Mm. But I'm really grateful. I had to go, and I didn't, at that point, I felt harmed by everything that I had experienced so much. that I was like, I can't jump back into a system right now. I have to do my own thing in my own way. And what you just read, that's really how I want to work. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to work with folks who are unafraid, who understand that we can solve any problem if we're creative enough that we have the answers, Mm -hmm. that we can do it and make it fly, you know, Mm -hmm. who value having some different voices, who value being challenged, and who want to infuse their project, their business, their event with something that's not just pretty, but that's valuable and equitable and is for the people and i happen to find six other people who believe that mm-hmm. and who even when i still don't know what i'm doing to be completely honest who does they're so like great let's do it and mm-hmm. i'm like bless you all right okay we're doing it <laughs> right
1: <laughs> is there a particular project you've worked on that you found particularly meaningful there was
2: one week in the bad art sister in like april where on April 20th, I was stage managing and we were co directing the Freelon Foundation's event to raise money for ALS Mm. and to honor Phil Freelon. On the Thursday night, I was like sitting in the booth of Carolina Theater, like calling cues with like Regina Carter on stage and Nina Freelon sang beautifully and um, John Brown, big band, and literally got up the next morning to do a facilitation around. Equity for a local nonprofit, and then six days later was putting up a pop-up museum exhibit on Durham hip-hop history. Wow! And that week, I think was like this is exactly right. what I want to be doing with more sleep. But this is exactly <laughs> what I want us to be doing, right. you know. And the way that my team mobilized, so it was like three of them were. Um, there for the Carolina theater event like helping with the artists and make sure everybody was good and then I went and I worked with Frontline Solutions on Friday and then my other partner uh, and I Derek we were in downstairs like painting and putting things on boards like 3 a.m getting up putting it up at the the museum hub the Mm -hmm. Durham hub and I feel like that just like showed one how versatile we are Mm -hmm. and also it's like yes this is how I want to be Moving, and this is the type of work I want to do. I want to jump from working on these big events to like creating things with my hands Mm -hmm. to talking about like equity and being more in that like mind activity space. Like, Mm -hmm. this is exactly what I want to be doing.
1: What is next for you? Oh, God, Tamara. I know.
2: (laughs) What is next for me? (laughs) I'm excited by what this piece is going to do, and I'm just open to whatever that is. I'm also excited about rolling it out over this year, just getting to play all year. I'm excited about growing bad arts and doing even more of the work that we are meant to do. Like I wrote out all of our, all of my big projects for the year. And I have a big project every month except for October. Hmm. So like January is by my soul, call it art. February, we're doing the Hei Thai Heritage Film Festival. March is the Bull City Black Theater Festival. What's up April, we're doing Escape to Freedom again with Mojoa because so many people were upset that they didn't get tickets mm-hmm. um, after it closed that they are like, we can't wait till September. We need to do it in April. <laughs> May, we're going to do a big birthday fundraiser party for Mojoa because we're five years old. Yay! Woo-hoo. June will be Buy My Body and Call the Ticket. July will be Reclamation with Mojoa. August will start getting ready for Escape to Freedom. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to go to Wote It's this big arts festival in Ghana. Hmm. I want to go. I just feel like I'm meant to be there. It's fine. I'm just going to manifest it. Okay. I'm going to go. Uh, so September is Escape to Freedom. October, I'm going to sleep maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whole month. The whole month I might sleep. You're going to sleep until you have another project. <laughs> exactly, exactly. November, we're really working on uh, a new model for Mojoa where we present a playwright for each year, so we do a reading in the fall and then like a production in the spring, mm-hmm. um, really focusing on living Black playwrights. And then December will be Buy My Art and Call It Holy.
1: Wow. Right? That's a very full year you have ahead right? of you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. For this conversation. You, I Tamara. really appreciate you making the time and space to do it. Artist Soapbox was recorded at Shadowbox Studio. You can visit their website at www.shadowboxstudio.org. Artist Soapbox is a listener supported podcast. You can support us on our Patreon site, www.patreon.com slash artistsoapbox. For more information, links, and exciting tidbits about our conversation, you can see the show notes, Artist Soapbox, Org. And we're out.